live from Columbia, Missouri, this is The Hot Corner with your hosts, Patrick Harrion, Michael Imami, and Logan Franz. One hour of nonstop sports starts right now. And good morning, Columbia, and welcome to another edition of The Hot Corner. I'm your host, Patrick Carey. Alongside me is Michael Imami and Logan Francis. Thursday, September 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2021. And, well, welcome to fall. It is officially meteorological fall. It happened the other day. I believe it was the 21st or the 22nd. I don't really know. I should know this stuff because I used to watch the Weather Channel religiously when I was a kid. So... Fall is here, and it felt like fall this morning. I brought the sweatshirt. I'm in the sweatpants. It feels like fall. Now, next week, it's supposed to get up to 92 again, so uh, enjoy it while it's here, right? Yeah, we're just we're in that kind of weird in-between spot where the temperatures are jumping all over the place, and the mornings and nights are really cold, but the day's really warm. So that's kind of where, that's kind of where we're at right now. It, it, it's like that, uh, that random two weeks of like false fall you get. And then summer just comes right back. It's like, hey, you missed me? And everyone's like, no. And then because, it disappears yeah. for months. <coughs> yeah. You hate to see it. You know, I, a little bit, I expected a little bit more commentary there, but understandable. Understandable. Well, we, we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to go back to our college talk here. Missouri playing Boston College this weekend. What, hosted SEMO last week. Well, it ended everyone, the way everyone else expected it to, but... I want to ask you guys one thing here. What is with all these 11 a.m. games? Seriously. I'm getting I wish sick I and tired knew. of this. I, I wish I knew. We've had, what, three of them out of the four they've played so far, Missouri has? I, I, it's been a lot. I'll say that. Because, one, the only, the only non-11 a.m. game, I believe, was Kentucky. And that was, a late, that was much later on in the day. It's 3 o'clock. There's, there are some questionable decisions by the SEC with how they organize their their uh, afternoon games. You see teams. I'm I'm pulling up the schedule right now. If I can just get past all the ads on CBS. They're they're putting games like Vanderbilt games at seven o'clock on the on on the main SEC network. They're putting they refuse the college game day refuses to host uh for example Texas A&M and Arkansas, which is probably one of the bigger games of the week. But as you look at the schedule here, they have Georgia State and Auburn at 3 o'clock. Like, really? And, of course, 6 o'clock, Kentucky, South Carolina. Of course, Alabama gets primetime spots at 6.30, hosting Southern Miss. Yeah, it's something I noticed last week, too, where I was kind of like, I spent most of the day Saturday kind of just watching um watching some of the games on TV as they, as they, you know, rolled on throughout the day. And I realized as you get kind of later on into those later windows, which are supposedly supposed to be the better games, um, a lot of them were pretty worse. And there were not, there weren't many good ones after, probably after the Alabama-Florida game that was at 2.30. After that one, I kind of felt like the rest of the, there were some good moments and some fine games, but none of them were like, you know, great for prime time as far as I was concerned. Yeah, Alabama-Florida was fantastic. I think that came down to the wire, and there was a lot of discussion. Is Alabama a fraud this year? Is it possible that you know they're not as good as you know we're used to seeing Alabama play? Should they have won that game by a much bigger margin by Alabama standards? And to me, that was the case. I felt like you know there were situations where the defense just wasn't there. 
Um, that's a credit to Florida and the work they did moving the ball down the field and only losing by two points. Obviously, the goal is to win the game, and if you lose, you're still a loser regardless of how much you lose. But my thing is, is when you have primetime television like that, and, and I came to expect this, college football, generally speaking, majority of the games are not going to be good because teams are playing FCS opponents sometimes, teams are playing group of five opponents sometimes, and there are a group of five opponents that are not good. And sometimes teams are playing power five opponents that are, you know, in, in, in the bottom of the bottom of the pack in their division. So, you know, you, you got some of these trap games where it's like, okay, here's a great team playing against a team that's not very good most of the time. And then you have a rare occurrence, which is Alabama, Florida. And there was another game that was fantastic was um, Alabama and uh, a couple years ago, it was uh, who did Alabama play a couple years ago and LSU, like when LSU was fantastic. And it was one of the best college games I've ever seen. In all honesty, with with Burrow when LSU was initially blowing Alabama out, and then Bama made a comeback towards the end of the game, and it just turned things around. Um, and Alabama ended up losing that, but it was one of the best college football games I've ever seen. So it's a situation where you just don't know what you're going to get, but you can come to expect a lot of the time the games are not going to be great, and I think that's the feeling for scheduling the games at 11 o'clock in the morning. Then, because we know the results already before they're going to happen. So you would, so you're fine with putting the Mizzou Boston College game at 11 a.m. I mean, I don't think Boston College is like a terrific opponent. I think they're, they're three good. this year. They're they're a decent ACC school. I think they're a decent school, but the three wins have come against Colgate, UMass, and Temple. That's understandable. I mean, I, mean, I think you have to look at who they beat as well. I mean, that's a factor in the rankings. Granted, I'm not one of the guys on here that says that just because. Okay, you you won, but you didn't win by much. But at the same time, they did so, allow UMass to score twenty eight points against them. It's definitely it's definitely not a marquee matchup, but it's one that I think it's would... one that's better than Georgia State Auburn. Exactly, yeah, that was going to be my point. It's still a better matchup than some of these, and you'd think that's one that if that's your best matchup this week. And it's I mean Texas um, Texas A and M and Arkansas deserves one of those I mean, spots. Texas A and M Arkansas was is the CBS game of the week, so yeah, that's fine. But if that's you'd perfectly like perfectly okay. If you, that's probably one of the better matchups in the SEC this week. I mean, I don't know all of them off the top of my head, but I feel like that'd be one of the better ones. I feel like you'd want to give that one a better time slot than being at 11 a.m., but maybe that's just me. I would, I mean, if you're going to put them in any time slot, switch out the Alabama game. Like, seriously, are you really going to put Alabama Southern Miss at 6.30 primetime? Like, are you kidding me? Like, I understand Alabama Alabama gets you views or whatever, but you got to look beyond that and say, which team deserves to play on it? I'm not saying Mizzou deserves to play on that slot. I'm not. If it were up to me, I would have made Texas A&M and uh, Arkansas the 7 o'clock ABC game. That's what I would have done. But I'm not in charge of the of, of NCAA here or in terms of scheduling for the SEC. Which, which, which pairing into another, another discussion here. Notre Dame and Wisconsin is the 11 a.m. game. College game day decided to go there to Chicago. Where Washington and Washington, geez, Wisconsin and Notre Dame are playing. I don't understand that move. I prefer, I would have gone as I keep slamming this into the ground here. Arkansas and M, two teams that are gonna gonna be something in the SEC this year. I don't get. Maybe it's just the obsession with Notre Dame and Chicago, and it's a Chicago Irish saying Notre Dame is my team. It could be that, <laughs> but I, I really like seriously. You went there. 
I was going to say, it's two universities that if you really, when you really get down to it, I think Notre Dame and Wisconsin have more pull than Texas A&M and Arkansas. Whether or not that's the way it should be is a different discussion, but that's the way it is. I still feel like, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to necessarily be a better game, but it's probably the second best game of the week, in my opinion. Those two schools, the two, two, top, two top 25 schools, at least for now, I still feel like we don't exactly know what Notre Dame is. But I, at least for now, they're two top twenty-five schools, and I think that'll be a that'll be a fine game. I don't necessarily disagree with that one. If you were to ask me, would I rather go to Chicago or Arkansas? I think you know what the answer is going to be. Yeah, Probably the looking, city of Chicago. But you're looking but, at a no, at, I like know a college atmosphere. You're Chicago's right. You're not absolutely a right. Atmosphere. You're absolutely right, and that's that's part of the thing. You know, SEC game day came to Mizzou. <coughs> And it was hilarious because they broke the record for the most people that attended that watched the SEC game day. Mizzou has still not been invited back. It's, you know, that that to me is, sometimes I think it's a ratings move where I think that, you know, it's just they want to get the ratings up there. But at the same time, I also think that there is some favoritism involved, I think, between the guys that run it. Like, what what do you guys think? What do you guys want to do? It's not necessarily about the better games or the best college atmosphere. They probably pull the guys that are sitting at the in the booth or whatever and say, hey, what do you guys want to do? And they give an answer, and it appeared that majority of them said they wanted to go to Chicago the thing for the is, Notre Dame-Wisconsin well, game. The, the whole ratings argument is not actually—I don't really believe in that because when you look past what they've done the last few years, a couple of years ago they went to North Dakota for North Dakota State, San Diego, uh, San, um, South Dakota State. Neither of those teams played at the 7 o'clock slot in ABC. They didn't even broadcast the game, and they went up there. Well, what's if, if the whole thing's behind ratings, why would they go there? Maybe they just want to give schools like North Dakota State you know, a, then a why, shot. Then why wouldn't they give Arkansas, a team that's been trashed for the last, I don't know, five years, and finally makes in the rankings and looks like a pretty good team? Why wouldn't they give them the shot? I don't know. I think it's fair that Arkansas gets the opportunity because – I think in the last two years, with what Barry Odom and company have done with that defensive line, there have been improvements bigger than I've ever seen. I mean, this this team was a joke two years ago. This team was kind of a joke last year, and now that they're a top, you know, twenty opponent and has a legitimate chance at you know getting in the top ten at one point, why do you not want to go down there and watch that team? I think we were having the same argument last year about something else. I think there was a Mizzou game that that was rather important. A couple years ago, I think Mizzou, Georgia, and we were like, you know, Mizzou had a shot at going there, and they they decided not to. And there was another game uh, with um, which McCall, the one with the plane, the school with the plane crash. Marshall. Marshall, yeah. Yeah, Marshall. Was Marshall a, a had dream a, season. Marshall was undefeated, and they had a, it was the forty year anniversary of the plane crash that killed pretty much all of the football team. Yeah. And they went, where do they go instead? They, 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 went, they probably went to like Penn State or something. Yeah, something like that. They, yeah. They've done, they've made so many questionable moves game day. And, you know, <coughs> excuse me, as someone who loves watching college game day every, every Saturday, I wake up early, exhausted, sometimes even more like, you know, watching this, this show. And I love just the pageantry of college football and the traditions and the rivalries. When, when, they, when they make a move like going to a neutral site like Chicago, for two teams that have had game day God knows how many times, and you see a team like Arkansas who has built themselves up, 
become fairly good and has their first big challenge against AM this year, you just look and you're, you'll ask yourself, you're just like, why? Because, you know, last year they, they listened to everyone. They went to Conway, South Carolina for BYU, South Carolina, uh, Coastal Carolina for, in my opinion, the best game of the year. That last was year. a great game. Yeah. Mullets versus Mormons. That was, that was the, <laughs> that was the uh, unofficial name of the rivalry game. They went there and everyone was like, thank you. Thank you. Because that was an insane game last year. Yeah. If only they would look at more of those games and say, look, Arkansas A&M, I know CBS has it. We're not going to be able to broadcast it. Then again, they're not able to broadcast the Notre Dame-Wisconsin game because that's Fox's uh, big noon game. Big noon. The big noon game of the week, which is at 11 a.m., by the way. So (coughs) questionable moves, questionable decisions by college game day. But I want to end this segment going back to where we started. Missouri-Boston College, I want to hear your guys' little predictions on this game. Yeah, so the last time we faced a team like Boston, like um, Boston College, where it's kind of more of a run-heavy offense, kind of that kind of scheme, was when we played against Kentucky, and we know how that one ended. I feel like they were kind of Mizzou was kind of fortunate to be as close in that one as they were, given how they played. Obviously, they can improve over the last couple weeks, and maybe the Semo game kind of. I don't want to say motivates them, but maybe it kind of lights this fire in them that then makes themselves like realize, hey, maybe we can be a good football team. And I don't know if necessarily that translates into a win, but I think it might be a closer game than some are expecting. But I still think Boston College comes out on top. Now, this, is, this is Missouri's first time facing an ACC opponent since beating North Carolina 41-24 in the Independence Bowl on December 26th, the year of our Lord 2011. So it's been a bit. Yeah, I think... My my chief concern here is that, you know, the 28 points given up to SEMO State, the 28 points given up to, or excuse me, the 35 points rather given up to Kentucky, and the 24 points given up, given up to Central Michigan, um, you know that that is not good defense. If you're allowing, you know, the, the, 20 the, plus the in a game, the SEMO one is a little deceiving. It well, it was, and I know that. But the other thing we have to look at is. Number one, the Kentucky game. That was the big thing. Central Michigan was hanging with you the entire time. Kentucky was beating you pretty much majority of the game. And then, you know, you had SEMO, as you said, a little bit deceiving, but still they, they managed to rack up the points. So SEMO doesn't that, that whole that was against second and third stringers. That doesn't that don't all right. let that fine big shot. Fine. We'll count the first two games then if you feel that way. So Boston, A, it's at on the road. That's the first thing. Yeah, that's 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 a big concern for me. It's not at home. It's on the road. Okay, and number two, as you said, Logan, heavy run offense. We saw Mizzou play Kentucky, who was also a heavy run offense, almost 200 yards on the ground. I certainly think that Eli Drinkwitz is going to do everything he can in his power to correct those mistakes against Kentucky to make sure that that translates to Boston College's game. I can see Mizzou winning this by three points. But I think that that's going to come with a lot of work in the trenches and a lot of sweat, blood, and tears on the behalf of the Mizzou defense. So I'm going to play it a little unsafe here. I think a lot of people are betting on Boston College in this game just because of where they've seen Mizzou play. I'm going to say Mizzou's going to win this game, and I'm going to give you a score prediction. I'm going to say 35-32. The only reason why I can see Mizzou winning this game is because they've played opponents— Kentucky's not a bad team this year, neither is Central Michigan by any standards. 
They've played opponents that have given them a run for their money, and they're coming off a game against SEMO State in which they realize to themselves, guys, we can do this. I just I need that to see confidence some... is going to ride. In my opinion, it's going to carry over this game. I just need There's... to see some push up the middle from that defense. That's what we Same. haven't seen, and I, you know that this unit misses Nick Bolton big time because he was one who would, you know, always kind always fill that gap and always take the running back down down within five yards. And I just don't see that on this defense anymore. Yeah, I just this, don't this see defense, that same push. <coughs> Excuse me. This defense is a train wreck. That's as nice as awful. It has a nice way. I, I can say dumpster fire, but I'm not going to like avoid that term. You you look at this team, and you look at Boston College. Boston College is without their starting quarterback, and I'm probably going to butcher his name, Phil Jerkovic. He is sidelined. Undergoing hand, line, hand surgery, couldn't miss the remainder of the season. So they're without their starting quarterback. So they're going to rely on the run, which if you're looking at Mizzou's game plan, you don't want them to rely on the run. Secondary secondary can get burned a little bit. They're not horrible. But when you look at that that front six, it's like, ugh, ugh. And it's, when are you eventually, the def, the, when, when is the defensive coordinator eventually going to just Figure it out, because we, we keep waiting for it. You keep hearing all the different analysts say, they're going to figure it out this year. They're going to figure it out. Well, we're three games into the season. I understand three games is not a big sample size, but in college football, three games is a lot. Like you're looking at, that, that's basically a, a fourth of the season. And with your conference matchups coming up, you've got Georgia and Florida coming down the pike. If they don't figure out something soon, those ones it's are going, going to, to be, be brutal. You're going to miss a bowl game. Mm-hmm. Like, like every year, the goal at least is to make a bowl game. You make a bowl game, everyone's like, all right, whatever, you're fine. If you don't make a bowl game, you got some questions to be answered here. And looking at Boston College, they've got three different running backs who scored all their against all their opponents. They ranked number six in the country in defense, allowing only 10.3 points. You know, granted that is against teams that have not exactly been great, but still, when we're when Mizzou's up there giving up 28 points to teams that should not be giving up 28 points. Or, excuse me, I'll be clear, let me fix that statement. When they're letting teams like Central Michigan hang with them, now Central Michigan's not a horrible team altogether, there are questions and red flags being raised here. It's one they should have beat pretty ha- yeah. pretty handily regardless. So uh, I'm looking at this here. Boston College is a one-and-a-half point favorite. Yeah. Hmm. So, excuse me, I think, uh, yeah, Boston, Boston College is, no, Mizzou's a one-and-a-half point favorite in this game, which is a little interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a swing. It really it's, is. It's I mean, it feels like a pick'em. You can't. And you know, I, one I, and a half points be, is not. No. I, I'm going to go full on homer here. I'm going to have Mizzou win this game, but it's going to be on a walk off field goal, similar <laughs> similarly to the Arkansas game last year. Yeah, you guys have my predictions. So, yeah, right. you have mine. You're ready here first. We're going to take a short break. We come back. We're going to break down our big three games of the week of the National Football League, also known as the NFL. Here in Hot Corner on KCU.fm and KCU.fm. All across the nation, we are here for our communities. We're doing our part to get supplies where it's needed in order to fight COVID-19 together. It feels good to be out there to assist our community. I would like our friends and family to know that your National Guardsmen are always ready and always there. Visit NationalGuard.com to find out more. Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard. Aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association and this station. Check out my new time machine. Does it work? Hit the button. Hey, it's Napoleon. Oui. Check out the future. Hey, you have a nice house. Why don't I? You didn't save any money, buddy. If only there was a way I could go back in time and fix that. 
Yeah. Save something for the future. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. It is week three of the NFL, and it's been a lot of fun so far. Not, I mean, honestly, if you look at it as a Bears fan, it's been kind of fun. But you look at it as just a non-biased NFL Big old Bears. fan. Like uh, that one actor who decided to wear the NFL hat. Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe wearing the NFL hat. You look at it and you're like, you know what? It's been a fairly... Jeez. <coughs> fairly interesting... <coughs> oh, my Lord. Fairly interesting season. There you go. You guys take it away for a second here. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've had a lot of good primetime games this season, too. Like, we had... um. Kansas City, Baltimore, obviously, just last Sunday was so far when it, it, I feel like it could end up being the game of the year overall when all is said and done. That was an insane game. Monday night, Ravens Raiders last um, week one was very, very nice. Week, um, which one was it? Week two, Thursday night game, Washington, New York, even yeah, yeah. Big, one that not time. many people expected to be great actually ended up being a pretty good game. So yeah, we've had I, a I'm lot a fan. of. I didn't expect that game to be great. I thought New York was going to come in there and just beat us. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it ended up panning out to be a great game, and credit to Washington, 0-4 against Daniel Jones to pick up their first win. And the other thing that I was going to bring up is I cannot wait to see Jacksonville and Lever Trorrance, I mean, excuse me, Trevor Lawrence, rather. <laughs> I apologize, folks, in primetime, because I think I think that that's a guy that deserves a primetime shot. I, I think we got to let Trevor Lawrence um, have a primetime game. Hey, hey, I think hey, how, how the many, world how many needs weeks, to see. How many weeks until Urban Meyer... Uh, uh, decides to go leave for USC. Did you guys hear I that quote know. from Vic Fangio today where he he said that Urban Meyer told him that playing in the NFL is like playing Alabama every week? Did yeah. you guys see that? Was I the only one that saw that? I, I thought think that I was saw that, yeah. man, a bit off more than he can chew, huh? <laughs> I guess so. It seems Couldn't like it. Couldn't have happened to a better guy. <laughs> Anyways, as you know, here in our NFL 7, we pick our big three games of the week, and then we do our upset picks. So, Logan, ups- update us a bit on our scores here as you know we score each week and our predictions so logan take it away so last week was simply put very very bad for picks for us um patrick you picked one game correctly out of the four picks you had Ah. michael picked zero correctly and Ah. i picked two i had my um i had las vegas (laughs) and pittsburgh i had las vegas in that one and then i what got I'm just going to gloss over that one. And then I picked my upset correctly as well, which was Tennessee over Seattle. So as it stands right now, I currently am in the lead with five points, and you two, Patrick and Michael, are tied with three points. Yeah. All right. Well, we got, we got yeah. some work to do here. So first game we got here, Chargers and Chiefs. Mahomes versus Herbert for two fast-moving offenses. Chiefs defense, not horrible, not great. As you know, really kind of showed up a little bit, and the Chargers are just that that fa- that fast offense. A lot of fun to watch. I love watching Herbert play. He did go to Oregon, so yeah. But even in college, he was so much fun to watch. So, what do you guys think about this game? This game is kind of representative to me of like this new age of quarterbacks. I guess is kind of a good way to put it. I mean, um, Mahomes has been in the league a couple of years. He's only 26. Herbert's 23. Obviously, only in his second season. It kind of feels like these two are one of these like division matchups between really good quarterbacks it's going to be a lot of fun to watch for years and years it feels like kind of this new age of like franchise quarterbacks as guys like drew Brees and i mean tom brady whenever that happens 
or if, if, it, ever if it ever happens, are kind of aging out here. Philip Rivers is another one that comes to mind. Um, the Manning brothers. It kind of, as those guys are retiring, we're kind of seeing other guys usher in this new age, and I feel like Mahomes and Herbert, at least at the moment, are at the forefront of that. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy because the guys in our generation. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's kind of crazy because the guys in our generation are sitting in broadcast booths and old and, you know, washed up and guys who are our age or in our generation are uh, playing in the game, which is kind of interesting. Although I will tell you, Herbert looks like he's 16. The other thing that I was going to bring up is Herbert's arm strength last week and the week before and last year and just the tape is terrific. I, I think the Chargers offense is legitimately in position and there I think they are honestly one of those teams that if they're not for real this year, they're going to be for real next year. And so this is the game where I think Casey played the Chargers last year if I'm not mistaken. Or, they I'm sorry. The they're they're in the same division. Play you know what? Year. You know what? I know how stupid I am for asking that question. Don't even bring it up. So, the last game where they played in Los Angeles was a very, very tight game. And if you remember correctly, Mahomes threw a bomb toward the end of the game, and that's what ended up giving the Chiefs the win. So to me, I think this is going to be another really close game, and I think the Chargers are new and improved. And so this is going to be a game where you could it's conceivable where I could see them saying, okay, we may flex this, we may not. They have the game at 12 p.m. right now. I could see this being a primetime game. Although we've got a couple of other games on here that are fantastic as well. I'm looking forward to the Sunday, folks. I, I don't yeah, know about it's, you. <coughs> it's going to be a lot of fun watching these guys play. Now, granted, I don't agree with these six-and-a-half-point spread that uh, no, I don't just sent out there for for the Chiefs as a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I don't necessarily agree with that. And it really makes you wonder with, uh, with Herbert there, did that doctor intentionally hurt Tyrod Taylor? Oh, we're still we're going back to this, huh? Is that... I don't, know. I don't think I don't so. Know. I don't think it happened on purpose. Not if you stood as well as they did. There's some, uh, there's some, there's some question marks being raised here in conspiracy theory talk. Maybe, maybe. I don't. I, I doubt that. I don't think anyone would be <laughs> that crazy to do that. So, Chiefs six and a half point favorite. As you know, we go around the table, pick our team, and you pick a score prediction if you're feeling ambitious. I never, ever do score predictions here, but I've got the safe pick. I just think the Chiefs are just a better team. I am going with the Chiefs. I'm going to say the Chiefs, largely because they're at home. I think it's hard for opponents to come into Arrowhead and win. Uh, it's something that doesn't happen too often. And, you know, you put the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands, there's nobody better, in my opinion. Greatest September quarterback of all time. I'm going to say Chiefs in this game by a small margin. I'm going to give you a score prediction, 28-27. to 27. Logan? I'm sorry. I'm trying to type into our spreadsheet as we talk here. Um... I have a very complicated relationship with picking Chiefs games on this show. I feel like the um I was I was right in week one and choosing them week one, but I feel like had the past two Super Bowls I chose against KC in the first one and they won that one. I chose case I was like I can't choose against Patrick Mahomes in the second one and then they lost that one. So I feel like I'm kind of a little bit cursed when it comes to picking Chiefs games on this show. And something was really telling me to go with L.A. in this one, but like Michael said, KC's at home. I do have these two teams splitting, so when they play the second time, I'll have the Chargers in that one at home, but I think I think KC's going to take care of business in Arrowhead this week. All right, our second game of the week, <coughs> Tampa Bay 
and the Los Angeles Rams. We got Brady against Stafford. I want to say old versus new, but that's not really the case here. Stafford's Big old been, Stafford. Stafford's been in the league for quite some time here. And he's finally finding himself on a good team. You know, it must feel great to finally not have to be on the Lions and live in Detroit. Yeah, so. the old versus new may have worked because Stafford's still kind of new in Los Angeles, but he's very quickly found his footing and is playing, at least in my opinion, like an MVP candidate early he's on. He's been playing great. He loves the offense is built around him. It's fun. He's a good play-action guy. He likes to roll out. <coughs> so, really, things you never got to see when he was in Detroit. So, honestly, change of scenery did him great. And, honestly, I'm not expecting to be this great in Los Angeles, but, hey, here we are. There's a lot of star power on these offenses, too. Like, you look at Tampa Bay, who has one of the best um, receiving cores in the league with Evans and Godwin, a wide receiver, and Rob Gronkowski at tight end. And then, you know, even in L.A., um, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods kind of lead the show there in the receiving core, and then Tyler Higby's a tight end who's fine. They they're kind of still trying to find like that third receiver player, whoever they want that to be. There, I think Van Jefferson's kind of in the lead there, but they're kind of still trying to find themselves there. But just so much offensive firepower on both these teams that it's going to be a fun one to watch. Yeah, I remember your fantasy team as well, the quadruple G: Goff, Gurley, Gordon, Green. Two of the four of those guys are no longer in the NFL. Uh, which is crazy to believe three years ago. But the other thing that was crazy to believe four years ago is Matt Stafford, or three years ago, rather. Matt Stafford was on a Detroit Lions team, and no one really knew how capable he was of winning games in prime time and of winning games at a high rate like he is in Los Angeles. And all that changed this year. In particular, I like to say that I expected it. I believed it. Everybody else was wrong. But you know what? It's true because I knew that Stafford needed a terrific off with a terrific offensive line with a decent or actually a terrific wide receiving core has the opportunity with a great team in primetime television to really sling it deep. He's accurate. He's strong. We saw it in the in the home opener. And that was one of the things that we came to expect. And everybody acts all shocked that Matt Stafford is good. I'm like, you know what? This is the first time the public can really see Matt Stafford because He's in Los Angeles now. You don't. You don't got much media in Detroit. I mean, you, you know. You know about him, Detroit. <laughs> you know. You, you know. You can't get anything in Detroit. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, you can't have anything can't in have Detroit. anything in Detroit. It's ridiculous. I was but. I was another one on that same on that same boat with you, Michael, banging this drum of Matthew Stafford as a top twelve NFL quarterback, and we're actually going to see that this season, and it has come to fruition. I think at least in the first couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's it's unbelievable and. That is right now the reason I think in large part everybody's so shocked is because, number one, this is a team that's going to get that 325 game in primetime, and they're going to get that Sunday night game, and they could get that Monday night game or the Thursday night game, and they got some primetime games You, you, you don't want that Thursday night game. You, you can't have <laughs> you don't anything want that. in that Thursday You don't night want that. Game. Oh, yeah. You, you don't want it. Uh, it's also, I mean. But, you know, it's, to me, it's just, it's the time the public, he's really showcased, they're showcasing him to the, to the world right now. And everyone's like, wow, this guy's good. Where's this guy been? He's been on the Lions with an O-line that has been pretty bad and a receiving core that has been largely non-existent. A team Calvin that has Johnson been very bad, yeah. left. So, you know. Yeah, and also we, we're talking a lot about the quarterbacks here, but the defensive matchup in this game is incredible too. I feel like we're looking at a potential... I, I said this about a game last week, and I don't want to keep making this a trend, but I feel like we're looking at a potential NFC Championship preview. Just these. Yeah. This seems to me like two of the strongest teams in the conference, by and large. So, you have Brady, who's ageless, the ageless wonder, who 
probably going, going to this, taking the same stuff uh, Tom Cruise is taking he's, over at Scientology. He's 44 years old and threw five touchdowns last I week. I thought he was That's 46. just insane. He's 44. I actually 44. looked it up because I was, I was curious because I feel like he's been... For at least in my eyes, I keep remembering him being 42, and that's where he just stayed for me. Yeah. But he's con- he he's 44 and threw five touchdowns, which is just insane. Imagine being the last quarterback born in the 1970s. I mean, how crazy! Yeah, imagine is that? being the last player born in like the 1970s, still playing. Yeah, yeah I don't think there's anyone even close to him after Adam Vinatieri retired. I think we're kind of I mean, Frank yeah, everybody's like 95, 96. Yeah, but I think he. I don't think he's on a team anymore. I think Frank no, Gore's a free agent. He is a free agent. He's not playing any teams right now. But I'll really look at this game. I love the Bucs. I love Tom Brady. You can just go on and say I'm just a Tom Brady fan. So you already know basically who I'm going to go with. Buccaneers are a one-and-a-half-point favorite. I think it's going to be a very, very close game. It's going to be decided by the defense here. And I just think that somehow the Bucs have that little bit of edge. So I've got Tampa Bay win this one. Yeah, it's a shame we weren't talking about Washington and Buffalo because I would have said you already know who I have in the one column. I'm going to go with Los Angeles. I like L.A. right now. I don't want to pick against Brady, but you know what? L.A.'s the home team. I love Stafford this year. He's been terrific. And I just absolutely <laughs> cannot really be more happy for the guy. So I, I, I think that L.A. is going to win this game. Yeah, if it wasn't already obvious, me and Michael were riding the Stafford train this week and really this season, and I feel like... I, I have, I'm going with the, um, LA in this one, too. It's definitely going to be close, and it was a really tough game to pick, but I think I think Los Angeles just ekes out a win. All right, and our final game of the week here, the Niners and the Packers. We have the Niners, who are decent. I don't really, I don't really know how I feel about this team, and it's injury-ridden <coughs> ridden running back core, and it's quarterback dilemmas, and then you have the Packers, who were terrible week one, then come back week two and win against the Lions. Now, granted, it's the Lions, so like, yeah, yeah. But I mean, they, they were did not legitimate. Play well, at the, at the end of the stretch though, against Detroit. Well, and there were legitimate concerns after the way they got blown out by the Saints, who were like a decent team but not a great team, at least by in the eyes of many. I mean, Michael had his upset pick last week as Detroit over Green Bay, so that can give you an idea of where um maybe some of that thinking was. But it's. This one is very interesting. The 49ers have five running backs that are hurt on their team. They've signed Chris Thompson, and I can't remember. There was someone else that they've signed, but I can't. Uh, on Johnson was who it was, who was formerly of the Lions, was with the Eagles in training camp. I, I think camp. they got to get Frank Keep Gore, calm and so. carry on. Anyway, That's what they're saying it's in San Francisco. tough to keep calm in San Francisco right now with all the um, problems they have. Those, It's the five injured running backs that really gets me. Elijah Mitchell's hurt. Trey Sermon has a concussion. Um, Raheem Mostert obviously had the season-ending injury week one. They, Jamichael Hasty has something going on. They need a lot of help at running back, and I don't know exactly where they're going to find it at this point because there's not much left out there. So they they need to they need to figure something out, and they need to figure it out fast. Yeah, and the other problem is, in large part, it's. I mean, I I, I can see San Francisco squeaking out a win here. I can't. It's you know it's hard because, again, Green Bay. I felt like came back last week and said, or Thursday rather, and said, um, or not Thursday, Monday, Monday, Monday. Excuse me, excuse me. I feel like I'm the days are, are blending in together. I felt like Green Bay said, you know what? I'm going to show the world what we can do. I'm mad that we got blown out by the Saints. It was embarrassing, and they came back. And to their credit, they blew out the Lions. They did. They they 
basically said, you know what? Aaron Rodgers was had four touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, three hundred plus yards, high QBR, fantastic game for him. So, to me, this is a game where I can see Green Bay winning and winning by a large margin if they're going to win. They have to bring their A game. They can't play the way they did against the Saints. There's going to have to be no mistakes. But as I said, if San Francisco wins this game, they're squeaking out the win. It's going to be taking advantage. Whoever wins this game, I feel like it's going to be taking advantage of some lapses on defense because that's where both of these teams are struggling. San Francisco's secondary has been shoddy at best this year, and then Green Bay has some issues up front, and teams have been running the ball fairly well against them. So I think it's going to be something... To matter, I think both teams need need to figure out their defensive system, and this might be a, week, a good week to do it against two pretty good offenses, respectively, for both of them. So we'll just have to see. I think it comes down to which defense plays better at the end. All right, Diners are a three-and-a-half-point favorite here. I'm going a reluctant Packer win. I'm going to say the Packers win this game. Um, I can see San Francisco winning, but I'm going to have to go with Green Bay. I'm going to give San Francisco a little bit more credit. Uh, I'm going to give them 38 to 24. Packers win. It's a solid score prediction. I thought you were going to make it a one-possession game, but um, I am also going with the Packers in this one. I do think the Niners can hang with them. I feel like we're kind of, both of these teams are kind of a, in a state of flux right now. I feel like if the 49ers had more power in their run game, I might go with them, but they're in they're in a weird spot right now, and they need to figure something out. All right, and our final part of the segment, the upset game of the week. And my game, well, uh, hmm. I have the Bears over the Browns. Justin Fields getting his first start. Baker is going to bake some turnovers in this one. While the Bears' defense is still good, I think they're going to do fairly well against the Browns, who are just really struggling to find themselves this season. So I've got the Bears in this one. Bears are a seven-point dog, so go Bears. I'm going to get the Bears as well. Oh in no! That game. Oh no! We matched with oh, our no. upset picks. I'm upset. I'm upset Logan. about it. This does not bode well. I'll just put it that way because I also chose oh, my Chicago in this one listed. So. I wasn't gonna get Washington over Buffalo because not my wildest dreams is that gonna happen. <laughs> if I was so, if, my whole thought here was that if I was gonna go down, I was gonna go down with the ship with Chicago. And Justin Fields obviously making his first start, which is the detail that neither you mentioned that I thought would I be brought that. up. Oh, did you? That. Yes, I did. Okay, I no one expects that, but... Chicago to win this game. That's why it's an upset pick. Exactly. Well, I well apparently all three of us do, so there's something there. But I, Justin Fields making his first start, I feel like that will light a fire under this offense, kind of open up the playbook. Obviously, it comes down to Matt Nagy being able to call a good offense now that his quarterback is in place, which I'm not exactly sure I trust. But there is... There's a lot that they need to do. I think the defense is a solid unit in Chicago. I think they can. I think they can hang with Cleveland, and I. I think they can. They can get. They can eke out a win here. I think they really can. I, I can see them definitely squeaking out a win. It's going to be tough, but I think they can do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right, we come back. Cardinals in your postseason. It's more likely than you think. Baseball segment here on Hot Corner in case we win FM and in case you dot FM. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. 
Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. A delicious power breakfast. Great way to start the day. I'm Brandon Anthony. And I'm Keegan Harvey. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. to listen to me. And me on our new show, Breakfast of Champions. Here on KCOU Sports, KCOU 88.1 FM. It's still the clinchmas season in baseball, and the Rays are the latest to punch their ticket to the offseason. So, postseason, I shall say. Still, wild cards are the talk of the town here, and especially over wild cards and the NL West are the talk of the town. We have the Dodgers and the Giants fighting it out for that number one spot in the National League West. And in the National League wild card is the interesting position of the Cardinals, who are won 12 games in a row. So, uh, 11 games, excuse me. So you're really looking at either the winner of the National League West or the Cardinals slash maybe another team in that mix because the more I look at it, the more I see teams are just plummeting. Padres having trouble in paradise. Machado yelling at players. They can't seem to get anything done. The Reds, who are just redsing it right now and are really concerning me, it's it's looking more likely or not it's going to be Cardinals playing whoever is the second place team in the NL West. Now, if you want a scenario where the Cardinals are in a good spot, because usually you look at this and say, if it's the Giants, the Cardinals are going to lose the Dodgers. Yeah. If it's the Dodgers winning the NL West, the Cardinals will probably lose the Giants. A scenario you don't want to be in, the National League West, if you think, if you get a game 163. Yeah. Because if you get a game 163, that means you throw your number one guy. Scherzer throws yeah. and the number one pitcher for the Giants throws which really opens the door for the Cardinals to upset whatever team loses that game. Cannot believe we're saying Scherzer throws number one guy on the Dodgers. Ugh. All right. Sorry, I'm just not happy about it. Um, Ten games left in the season. Um, I think at this point it's do or die for a lot of teams, particularly in the AL wildcard situation. I like to believe that Seattle still has a shot because they're only two, two and a half. Toronto, I think, is right there. Looks to me like it's going to be New York and Boston because they really haven't budged at all. And as you said, St. Louis is on quite the hot streak right now. Philadelphia, done. Cincinnati, done. Uh, it's, 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 their, conceivable. it's their spot to lose. It's conceivable, but when you have a team that's winning 12 games in a row, that is just absurd. That is absurdly good. So right now, I can see him taking that wild card spot with L.A., which is pretty unbelievable to see an L.A. team that is going to get 100 wins, in my opinion, take that wild card spot. This, this streak is 11 wins, by the way. Or I'm so, Well, no, I'm referring to uh, the Dodgers no, I'm referring getting to 100 the Cardinals, wins. 11, 11, 11, it's an 11-game streak. Excuse me, way. yeah. But L.A. <laughs> right now, if they win 100 games, they're still a wild card team. That is crazy to me. San Francisco, uh, I think they've have they – they have not – Locked up the division just yet. I know they've clinched the postseason. No, San Francisco spot. Has, has clinched a postseason spot, but they have not clinched the. Uh, they have not clinched a uh, division yet. Yeah, and then you have Milwaukee. Milwaukee clinched the division. Has fine. clinched the division and the postseason spot. Who has also looked fantastic. Uh, as you can see, four and six in the last ten. They're kind of taking a break because they're already. They've already made it at that point. So. The situation in the NL wildcard is going to be this. 
Do we see Cincinnati and Philadelphia making the jump? Yes. Un- unless unless St. Louis plummets and collapses, which is certainly possible. All yeah, this is, is possible. Now, is it going to happen? Probably not. I mean, the other thing that we have to look at as well is Philadelphia and their last couple of opponents and San Diego. My God. I mean, 76 <coughs> and 75. How bad do you have to be? To where you're at 15 games over 500, you go from being a 500 ball club. I mean, that is just absurd in the last couple of weeks. Cardinals have to finish out on a tough on a tough stretch. Okay, they have the Brewers game, and they have the Cubs, and, you know, the Cubs are not very good right now, but it's a divisional game, and divisional games are usually played very, very well. Then they finish off the season, second-to-last opponent, a three-game stretch at home versus the Brewers, and the Cardinals finish off at home against the Cubs. So it's conceivable that the Cubs can pick up some wins in that stretch. And then for Philadelphia, in particular, with their last couple of games in the stretch, they just beat Baltimore most recently. Then they play the Pirates in a three-game or a four-game stretch, rather. And they play the Braves, and that's going to be a tough opponent, and they finish the season against the Marlins. Okay, Philadelphia has, in my opinion, the second or third easiest schedule uh, out there. Okay, Pittsburgh, then they have to play Atlanta, who's going to be a tough opponent, yeah, and then they you, finish you, off you against look the Marlins. At this here. They have to win out. Philly have, does, yeah. yeah. Philly has to win out. That's not happening. You can look at their schedule. You can say how easy their schedule is. They're not winning it out. In my, in my eyes, the Cardinals have it in the back. They're four games above the last two teams. Four games is not that much to make up in a division. Yeah. Four games is a hell of a lot to make up in a wild card run. Yeah. So it's theirs to lose. Yeah. If the Cardinals decide to get swept by the Cubs both times, which I don't think is going to happen, but if it were to occur, then they drop out. But I don't see yeah. that happening. I think the Cardinals have it in the back. At this yeah, point. you know, and that's the thing, as you said, you got the Braves <laughs> in a three-game series here, and that's going to be very tough to win two of those three games, never mind three of them. Um, and to St. Louis's credit, I mean, they've earned it. Uh, you know, it's like... Anytime you, I mean, we haven't seen a streak quite like this since I think I want to say I think New York, a couple years ago, where they had like 10, 10 games they won straight, and then most famously the Oakland A's back in two thousand two, uh, where they won twenty consecutive. But it was you know when a team is hot, they're hot, and in baseball that's just how it works. You ride the streaks and. St. Louis is there. All right, we'll see how they are next week when we come back to this segment here. We're going to take a short break. We come back, our signature segment, the final word, all this morning, Hot Corner on KCU1FM and KCU.FM. Look at me, busy as a bee. Where'd I get all this energy? Oh, man, mm, man. I don't sleep and I don't eat, but I've got the cleanest house on the street. Oh, man, mm, man. Get these hairs all out of my face. Get these bugs all out of my place. One more hit. No time to waste. Oh, meth. Oh, meth. Saturday in Columbia is KCOU Sports Saturday. Tune in right here on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia for all-day sports talk starting at 9 a.m. Cap off your Sports Saturday with coverage of Mizzou football from the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. Don't just Saturday, KCOU Sports Saturday. You know you make me wanna When you hear that, you think Animal House and you think 
of our signature segment, The Final Word, where I pick a weird sport slash sports story. Michael picks the hero of the week, and Logan starts your work day off right with a nice feel-good story. So, without further ado, as usual, I'm going to go first. So, we have been to England a lot this year. England. We are going back to the, the town UK. of Yorkshire, which I'm Britain. sure I've mentioned about a hundred times, for a competition, or excuse me, an endurance contest called ferret legging. Now, ferret legging is an endurance leave. contest I'm to leave. see who can keep a ferret in their trousers the longest. Ferrets are the obvious choice for the sport, as they are natural tunnel crawlers that take pleasure in cramped spaces. Now, this is a male-only participant driven event where they put ferrets in their pants they tie the pants at the ankles before placing two ferrets inside and fastening their belts now contestants are not allowed to wear underwear and the ferrets must have a full set of teeth in order to win the contest the man must simply not care if something were to happen down there now the winner is the last release animal all the rules of the competition include competitors are not allowed to be drunk or drugged and ferrets cannot be sedated now, the ferrets can try to knock the animals off a spot they are biting, but from the outside of their pants only. Former ferret legging champion, world champion, excuse me, Reg Miller, whose record time was 5 hours and 26 minutes on the 5th of July, <coughs> 1981, said that new contestants should wear white trousers so they could see the blood caused by the ferrets. In 1986, he tried to beat his record again in a crowd of 2,500 people, and after five hours, the crowd got bored and left. Miller's <laughs> record was then broken in 2010 by a retired headmaster, Frank Bartlett <coughs> and Christine Farnsworth. They managed to keep the ferrets inside for five and a half hours, raising 1,000 pounds for the Winningham Community First Responders. I have a couple comments about that. First one, the fact the competitors are not allowed to wear underwear was just something that absolutely that killed me. That just sounds a little painful. Yeah, it me. really does. Also, can we talk about... I don't know if there's any... Can you imagine a sporting event where spectators just leave because they're bored? Like, right in the middle of it, they're just like, you know what? This wasn't as exciting as we thought it was going to be. We're going to take off. Well, we'll see you guys later. Yeah. That's just so strange. It kind of reminds me me of that SpongeBob episode where, uh, you know, because we all watch SpongeBob on here. Full disclosure, uh, or did back in our childhood because we're, we're we're men now and we're we're, we're no, cool. We're, we're cool now, yeah, and we don't man. we don't watch SpongeBob. We watch sports now. Um, and um, you know, do <laughs> you remember the the where um, the guy eats the the Krabby Patty and it was like it was made out of money or whatever it was or paper out of it was and he says, "I will never spend money here again." And then Mr. Krabs goes in and he says. SpongeBob, what's going on? It's like now they're leaving in boatloads, and everybody's just leaving, leaving out of in boats. It's like that kind of reminds me of that situation there. It's yeah, just all taking off. They're like, you know, we're we'll, we'll we're gonna head out. We'll see you guys later. Yeah, yeah. All right, it's it's, it's so bizarre. We're we're gonna we're gonna head out to York. Uh, we're gonna head out to the town. We're gonna head out to Yorkshire. We're gonna join the coal miners. We're not doing this one. This is and this Michael, is where I draw Michael the line. Michael has bravely volunteered. To take part in ferret legging. Yeah, yeah. He's got the longest legs here. So, Michael, <laughs> go win it for us. I will. Make us proud. Incredibly you're, painful. You're up. You're up. Um, yeah, okay. I'm up. Uh, so, my hero of the week is a young woman named Katie McCracken. She's a cancer survivor with an inspiration to Towson Volleyball. The Baltimore Sun has a story. It says, quote, 
It Taught Me to Never Give Up. The story is by Edward Lee of the Baltimore Sun. If you want to go ahead and check it out, it says September is a meaningful time for Katie McCracken, and not just because it's the month of her before her 21st birthday, rather. I remember the month before my 21st birthday. Since 2012, September has been National Childhood Cancer Awareness Month and a poignant time for McCracken, a junior setter on the Towson volleyball team who battled and overcame a type of leukemia when she was a young girl growing up in Smithsburg, Washington County. McCracken, who has helped raise awareness and money for organizations and hospitals and fight against pediatric cancer, is open about her story but refrains from using it as a conversation starter. So you got to give her credit there. She's raising money. She tells her story about it. You can go ahead and check it out. Uh, and she's just an incredible inspiration. And part of the big thing on here was that I loved about it, and I know, Logan, we're going to go to yours real quick, was because a lot of the time when you talk about this person's a fighter, this person's this, this person's that, a lot of the time, and I, I, I do condone it because I think it is important, people share the stories about the cancer. And everyone's like, okay, you're a fighter because you beat this thing, you know how to fight, and you're very, very strong. Or any, any internal battle you have to deal with is incredible. Um, she obviously says, you know what, it's not a conversation starter, and I already know that I'm a warrior. So I'm just going to say, here we go, this is what it is. So credit to her for sharing her story, first off. And number two, um, having that kind of humility to say, all right, you know what? I'm not going to use it as a conversation starter. I already know that I'm strong. you got to respect that. That is a great story. And my story comes to you from Lambeau Field, actually. We talked a little bit earlier about the Detroit-Green Bay game. One thing that um, wasn't mentioned was that Aaron Jones had four touchdowns in that game, three receiving, one rushing. And he, they were talking to him in post-game interviews, and he said that this one was, um, he dedicated the rest of his career to his father, Alvin Jones Sr., who passed away during the offseason due to COVID-19 complications. And Aaron Jones said in his post-game interview that he was wearing a pendant, like a chain with a little football pendant on it that contained his father's ashes. And that one had been lost in the end zone, actually, on a second touchdown. And I think it was funny he said in his interview, um, my father would have said, "If you were, if you're, if you're going to lose it anywhere, lose it in the end zone," which I thought was funny. But um, they hadn't found it at the time. But at 1:45 a.m. the next morning, Tuesday morning, um, Brian Engel, the head athletic trainer or the head athletic, um, yeah, the head athletic director, I think it was, of the Packers, found the pendant and gave it back to Aaron Jones. So he does have the pendant, and it was a. Um, it was. I thought it was a great story just to kind of um, have that found. By the way, 1.45 a.m., I know the grounds crew has, like, other stuff to do after games and stuff, but the fact that he was there that long is insane to me. I don't know if that's normal for grounds crews in the NFL, but if he was out that, that long just looking for it, that's, that's pretty incredible that he was that dedicated to it. But I thought it was a great story, and obviously, like I said, Aaron Jones dedicating the rest of his career to his late father is heartwarming. Yeah, it sure is. And that is the end of another edition of the Hot Corner. Be sure to follow us on our social media page at Hot Corner Sports. You can follow yours truly at Patrick Carey and Logan at Living Like Logan and Michael at Imami Michael. Also, you can check us out on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, any other podcast services under the name The Hot Corner. If you have a wonderful Thursday, we might see you on Saturday, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But so until then, it's been Hot Corner signing off. And she's watching with those eyes. And she's